The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I wanted to talk to you guys about the MLB Roto Baller Challenge, hosted by our friends at Fantrax on Fantrax.com. Fantrax is the most customizable free fantasy baseball platform in the industry, and that's why we're hosting over our 2022 Roto Baller Challenge over on Fantrax. If you want the greatest fantasy experiments, sign up for a free Roto Baller Challenge team today by going to rotoballer.com backslash challenge. All leagues are free to join, and you get to compete against Roto Baller writers and readers for a shot at $500 cash grand prize. All new Fantrax users get entered into a free giveaway to win a signed official MLB Wander Franco jersey. If you want to get entered to win a Wander Franco jersey and you're new to Fantrax, go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba and sign up for your free Fantrax account today. Once you have your Fantrax account, go to rotoballer.com backslash challenge to join the challenge league. But go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba to create your Fantrax account. Be entered to win a Wander Franco autographed jersey. But for now, welcome to Benched with Bubba. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 444. I have a returning guest to the show, a great NFBC player. She now writes for rotoballer.com for Fantrax HQ. Um, she's just all over the podcast world right now. If you if you listen to a base, fancy baseball podcast, you have heard of this person. You can find her on Twitter at JennyButler830. Jenny, how we doing? I'm good. How are you? Have I saturated the market yet? I think I think it's close. You're doing well though because it's like one a week where you're not you're not like on the full like the old ESPN joke we're doing the car wash going on every show like in two yeah. days type thing. You're at least spacing it out a little bit, which is good. So 
Um, you, you might have oversaturated the Justin Mason market, but uh, there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> that was all him. I said, you really want me to come on both of your podcasts in a one week span? And he said, yeah, let's do it. Said, all right. If that's what you want. I have to get at least one Justin Mason jab in on every one of my episodes. <laughs> it's just part of the deal. I text him and it's just, it, we're, we're buddies like that. As but, we know, uh, he's very trollable. So. Yes, yes. But he's also very, he <laughs> takes it well and he does dish it out. He's not so much on yeah. Twitter, but if you have, if he has your phone number, he will text you. So that does happen. Good to know. I'll um, make sure that doesn't happen. Yes. So he is good in that regard. If you want to get random pictures of him and his um, women's uh, swimsuit, those will be sent nope. to you. Uh, no, nope. neither did I. Trust me, they're not. They're not want. <laughs> they're not wanted. They just show up. So that is what happens. But um, it's it's great to have you on. It's been great to hear you everywhere because I got to meet you. I had the pleasure to meet you at First Pitch Arizona, <laughs> and uh, that was fun to kind of get to you know meet the person instead of just you know talking on Twitter. And I had you on the show with Rob uh, last year, but yeah. it's, it's it's been good to uh, to get to know you a little more. And but like between podcast in person and whatnot, so. Before we get started with all that blabbering, um, why don't you let everybody know like kind of what you have going on where you're writing, what you got going on uh, draft wise, like what's what's your what's going on in Ginny's world right now? <laughs> so uh, I started out my writing career this off season with the uh, FTN Five Tool Fantasy Draft Guide, and that went pretty well. I you know it took me a while to sort of get it all together. I don't know how fast other people write, but it turns out I'm not that fast. Um, so I finally just also got, got myself together to do an article for Rotoballer. So that just came out yesterday, I think, mm -hmm. um, an article on best ball strategy. And, um, I've got something that I'm working on for fan tracks and hopefully I'll, uh, I'll work some to get stuff out for both Rotoballer and fan tracks during the season. But, um, for the most part, I'm just on Twitter, uh, Jenny Butler, eight, three, zero. And right now I just, uh, draft wise, I just wrapped up. Uh, a dynasty supplemental draft and a best ball auction, uh, you know, the filling out the snake rounds of the best ball auction and then just TGFBI. That's what I, all I've got going as of today. How is TGFBI going? Are you the, in the slow drafts, the fast drafts? How's your draft going? I, it's going pretty slow. I just made my 10th round pick and yeah. I immediately regretted it. So that's where that's where we are. <laughs> that's part of the problem. Like we've been doing so many slow drafts and they're great because for the reasons like if you don't have time to sit down and do it, like I get I get the whole purpose of them. They make sense. Um, but after you do so many of them, you just kind of like you need to just go to the real deal because you start overthinking things because you've done so many drafts. And it's like, should I take someone else just to be different, even though I know it's not the yeah. right player or should I do this or that? And it's, it, you know, we only have ourselves to blame. But um, that's yeah. I, I feel you there. I'm totally with you. And I'm on like the turn and like one half of the draft goes really fast. The other half goes really slow. So I'm like making a couple picks a day. Some days I make four, some days I make two. Just depends. And it's just those go bang, bang. And I just kind of wait around all day. Yeah, see what's we had going a we so, time out in the first round. So that was fun. I thought we were going to have all, K, all heck breaking loose because our very first person on the clock, like almost got to the first hour. And I'm like, no. Do not do this to me. And they're like, at like 110, they picked. I'm like, thank God. Because I'm like, we can't clock out the very first pick. This is not going to happen. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, fun stuff, fun stuff. But um, with, uh, I don't want to talk a lot about the the, the delay in games. But I know we will just because we all hate this so much. Then we want to play fantasy baseball. We want just regular baseball because we are baseball fans at heart. 
But um, with the kind of what's going on, is this going to change your volume at all? Like, obviously, it might take more games to miss to change things. But like, how are you approaching this potential like month off, multiple times off? Who knows? Well, I was kind of wrapping things up and getting ready for Vegas. I planned. I'm I'm currently signed up for four drafts in Las Vegas, but. Um, I don't know. We got an email a couple days ago saying if, if we lose any more games that they are going to call off the drafts in Vegas. They've already postponed New York and Chicago. So um, I don't know what's going to happen with that. My trip is all booked. I still kind of want to go, but I don't not if I'm not drafting. It's yeah. I don't know. And I don't know if I would be able to make it back out there in you know, a month's time or something like that. So that's really heartbreaking. But um so yeah, I was just going to kind of wrap up what I'm doing and just sort of spend more time just sitting and looking at stuff and not so much time looking at draft rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, I only have one more league that I've already uh, paid for, and that's one more best ball that I was going to do as a fast draft uh, in the next month or so at some point. Um, I, if things start delaying, you know, I, I could probably, I might sign up for a few more. It's probably best balls, maybe a draft champions, mm-hmm. but um I might just kind of wait it out because, you know, it, if you don't know how long the season's going to be, you know, how much more money am I really going to invest in this? You know, I am uh, almost in Sapatico with you. Um, not in the, the drafts you already paid for, of course. I'm not in those, but um, my feelings <laughs> on this, like back in the 60 game season, I basically didn't dump any extra cash into it because I was like, I don't even want to play 60. And I honestly believe we're getting more than 60 games. I'm not going to that detrimental part of the world, but it's the same kind of feeling as, Towards the end of February, like I wrapped up my DCs, my NFBC 50s. I'm doing like Raz Slam and TGFBI. I'm like, perfect. March 1st, we're going to start doing like OCs and stuff. Let's go. And then like that Monday when all like the Twitter was blowing up, I'm like, sweet, about to start going. And then it stopped. So now I'm I'm just like you. Like I almost signed up for like a, a DC yesterday. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to wait. Because, you know, what if they make a deal soon? I don't want to be doing that long draft. Like I don't want mm-hmm. that. And so I'm, but I want to keep drafting to keep my mind right. And it's just like, uh, so I'm 100% with you. I think if by like Monday things aren't looking better, I'll probably jump in something because you just got to kind of, to me, keep the mind going. But it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah. But, um, and I, I'm signed up for, of the four drafts in Vegas, two of them are auctions. And no, part of the reason that no. I did that is because I really want to draft live auctions. I don't enjoy yeah. online auctions as much. Although I did have fun in the uh, best ball auction that I did on Saturday, but I, I really want to do auctions live. And so if things get postponed, you know, I could jump in an online main event, but I don't know that I'm going to want to do online auctions, which is sad. Yeah, no, and I get it because that's I told someone that they uh, when you guys were signing up for your online auction, a lot of big, awesome people were playing in that league. And I'm like, man, because I've never done the NFBC auctions. I've done other sites and it's just miserable. Like I can't it goes forever. And I get it. It's tough to do an auction online. It's just very difficult. Mm-hmm. But uh, everybody that came out of the NFBC one said that it was awesome. Like the interface was great. It went really quick. Like you guys were done fast for an auction. We um, were. And they also, the one key feature for me is that they don't have a plus one button. That's big. It is. That's, it's, you, if the, if the current bit number. is six, well, you can, but if the current bit is six, instead of saying plus one, it just says bid seven. Uh, okay. That and makes if, sense, if you're doing it at the same time as somebody else, it just gives you a little error message and says That's you can't good. do it. And it'll go up, then it'll, it'll let you hit bid eight or something like that. But you don't get caught in that weird situation of somebody jumping the bid and then you bid yep. one more or multiple people that. bidding at the yep. same time and you jump up $5 all of a sudden. So that was really nice. 
Um, I, you know, I thought it was good. It's just like, it's just not the same as live. No, seeing, I, I think, I can't remember who I was talking with on it, like in, uh, on a podcast. It's the online is, or in person is the best part about the auction because you can see faces. You can, re- it's like playing poker. Now you're mm-hmm. starting to like, because when people just throw out like BS bids, you can, after like the third time they do it, you kind of figure out, okay, they really don't want this person. Like they're totally toying with this or vice versa. And you can kind of play things. And I like that a lot. So I'm with you there. I hope it works out. I hope if it's delayed that you can reschedule because it's a, it's a fun deal. I know like when we talked in Arizona, how much you liked that auction. You like, I think you weren't even like originally signed up for it. You no, were super, I wasn't. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, super didn't fill. I'm going to go do this. And now you love it. Now you're like, let's go do more. So yeah, I've always works. loved auctions because my home league is an auction. Well, the first eight rounds is an auction, but I always love that part of it. Um, so I wanted to do it and I just, I would get down to the end of draft prep and I just thought, Oh, I haven't prepared for it. I can't just jump into one without doing enough prep for it. And then last year kind of forced my hand to do that. And I just thought, you know what the hell with it, I'm just going to do it. And even though I didn't really prep that much, it was still fun. And I still did pretty well. I finished one home run slash one RBI out of the money in that auction league. Um, So I, you know, it, it just kind of whetted the appetite and I just want to do two. now this year. I want to do two. So yeah, that's awesome, though. That's great. That's that's the beauty of uh, fantasy sports, and I guess that's the beauty of going to the the live events. If one doesn't work out, there might be an opening sitting right there, and you can go yeah. try something new. I, I've told them, and this year now with everything messed up, it's definitely not going to happen. But I mentioned to Derek, I said, "Hey, I guarantee you, if you put like some live OC drafts, people would sign up for those, and you might get even more people in Vegas because." For the most part, it's the big dollar events that are yeah. in person. So I'm like, if you throw some smaller ones, you might get even more going on. So just tonight. Yeah, they've had some OCs that were 750, but they, if they yeah. put in like a 350, I yep. think that that would do I bet well. You, it'd be quite interesting. So we'll see down the road. They, they keep listening to the the the, the, the players, the consumers. They they're, they're keep changing things. So I, it might not be this year or next year. I guarantee you in the next you know, handful of years, there'll be more options for more things to take place. But as I said before the show, I could sit and talk to you the whole time. But let's kind of uh, let's get to some fantasy baseball stuff here. And uh, the article you came out on Rotoballer with yesterday, uh, best ball strategy is great. It's a it's a great um, primer to get people that have not played best ball. I think it's really good because a lot of the talk, at least that I've seen most places this preseason, especially on my show, I'm guilty of it, is like DCs drafting holds. Like that's a ton of the conversation everywhere. Uh, best balls out there, it's just not as it's more of like a fan tracks thing. People don't, people don't talk NFBC as much type deal because it is a little higher dollar, but it is a great format. So um, you wrote a great primer on it. It's uh, under, easy, easy to understand for dummies like me. So it's great. Um, why don't you kind of give everybody an idea of what is best ball, I guess, and how does it differentiate to those that play draft and hold per se? Yeah, so best ball on NFBC specifically, I don't uh, have much experience doing fan tracks best ball. So specifically talking about uh, NFBC, um, there are 12 team leagues. There are, I should preface this by saying NFBC also has cut lines and that's a whole different thing that we can talk about if you want, but specifically just their strict best ball contests. Um, They're all 12 teams. Uh, There's two different types. So you can do a double up, which people that play DFS know, um, you know, with, out of the 12 teams, five actually double their money and six gets half their money back because that rake factors in. Um, and then the other one is the um, BB12. So that is a, I believe the winner gets like 6.7 times their money back. So basically you pay 150, winner gets 1,000, second gets 300, I believe, and third gets 150. I hope that's right. Um, 
so I kind of, I've played mostly in those um, just because, you know, having to only double up your money or finish in the top half to double your money is great. And it can be a good way to increase your bankroll, especially if you're kind of new to best ball. But I want the ability to win and win more money. You know, like I want the there to be a prize for a bigger prize for winning. You know, I don't want to win a double up. I would just feel like I'm leaving money on the table, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I did several of those. I think that last year was the first year for those on NFBC. And mm-hmm. I did six of them, I think. And I did pretty well on them. I liked them. Um, I just really liked them because, you know, I, I know that people like to use DCs for um, draft prep essentially. Um, but I actually like to use best balls because I don't like to pile up too many DCs. Um, I know that there's no fab, but for me, at least I, I spend a lot of time setting lineups and yeah. I don't have a ton of time. I think to set a lineup properly, you have to put some time in. And I know with DCs, you can get to a point late in the season where you're just like putting anybody in who's healthy. Yeah. Um, but I like to try, you know, if I have options, I want to try and look at them. And especially the way the schedule is now where on Mondays and Fridays, you have games starting at all different times. You know, you might have an afternoon game, a few at seven, a few at 10, at least Eastern. And, you know, I'm trying to look at like, which one of my guys are starting and sitting in that first game of the week and things like that. Like it takes me some time. And so I don't want to do that for more than probably two draft champions leagues. So um, for me, best ball is a great way to get in more leagues, get in more drafts and do literally no in-season management at all. So um, you draft 46 rounds, uh, 12 teams, and then your lineup is automatically set for you at the end of each week. The highest scoring players, it's a point system. The highest scoring players are put into your starting lineup. Lower ones are on your bench and you just sort of watch it as the season goes on. And I, I think it's fun. Yeah, no, um, I, they are a lot of fun, and they, by the sounds of it, similar to fan tracks. Because um, I, like I said, I did a lot of best ball the last few years, um, and on fan tracks, and um, I believe there are forty rounds, but I made them customized to fifty to kind of give us the feel for the deeper pool. Um, but it was points based. There, the part that really stunk was there was no positional flexibility. Yes. Now, does NFBC yes. have the positional flexibility like they yes. do in the regular format? Okay, that's that's big. S- same eligibility as in all their other leagues. Okay. So that is a big, big, big difference if you're going to play one versus the other, for sure. Yeah, no, Fantrax, that was a bummer because you like Cronenworth second base only or something like that. Yeah, that kind crazy. of loses the whole appeal of that yeah. guy. So it changes things a lot in the way you draft because, like, as you know, as you're building your roster per se, you want like X amount of this position, X amount of this position. But mm-hmm. if you have the flexibility, you can kind of count it, like cheat a little and do this. And in best where, ball, yeah. it's it's that much more important. In draft champions, it's great because you want to have that to be able to choose. But in best ball, it the ways that your lineup can be reconstructed to get the best guys into the starting lineup is even bigger. So in that article that I wrote, I put in um, two identical lineups side by side, and I just changed one. I think I changed Evan Longoria to Jonathan VR. So essentially I changed a third base only guy to a second and third or sorry, shortstop and third guy. And, you know, if you look at the scoring of the guys on the team, the way that that just having that one extra position of flexibility shifted everything around. So like corner went to middle, middle you know, utility, and it shifted everything and it made an eight point difference in scoring just for that week. And if you do that, you know, if you have guys that you can just shuffle all over the place and you can fully maximize getting the absolute best scores into your lineup, 
it will add up significantly over the course of the season. And I will tell listeners, if you are going to play this, A, read her art, Jenny's article, but uh, when you go to the NFPC, you can look up best ball ADP. So you'll see the difference mm-hmm. of how it gets pushed up. So like when you're looking at doing research, don't go to onlines, don't go to DCs, go to the one and don't go to best ball cut line, go to best ball. Yep. There are different ones. And you mentioned cut line. I had Curtis Jones on three weeks ago or something. He's, yeah, that was great. I love listening to that because I it, love cut line too. It, it got me so jacked up because like you said, the best ball is 12, which is great. So I love playing like OCs and stuff. Like it's kind of my, I don't mind 15s, but I think 12 is fun because you, I, I've said it too many times, but cut lines having 10 teams like this, that's like the feels of pretty much any match probably started out a league for the first time years ago. You played like an eight mm-hmm. or a 10 person league. That was just like, you had a little group of friends. And you're like, let's play fantasy. Unless you're very lucky. I wasn't, I was probably a 10 team league and your teams were so stacked when you walked out of that room and the cut lines, it's, it's pretty wild. But what I wanted to get at is you mentioned point scoring. Is it the same scoring as cut lines? The best balls of uh, like, yes. okay, perfect. Yeah, and the difference, I mean, a lot of people have played in points leagues before, and a lot of times uh, traditional points leagues um, count, especially for batters, count walks. And so you tend to favor uh, a more OBP type hitter than an average hitter. You know, like somebody like an Aaron Judge or a Joey Gallo just rockets up the standings. Um, but the scoring for NFBC was developed, I believe, by Todd Zola. Yep. To, this was for cut line to mimic roto scoring. So it's the way that it's scored tends to sort of trend the same way as uh, like a rotisserie ranking. So it's very important to know the differences and the specific scoring when you get into a league like a best ball. Another great point, because those that listen to my fan track stuff in the past, it's OBP centric, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's a definite different animal when you're drafting, as you said. And that's definitely something good to know um, as you're getting into those. You mentioned you did a best ball auction recently. Obviously, there's best ball. There's drafts. There's probably slow drafts, live drafts, whatever. Um, How many rounds? Is it 23 rounds for the auction? And then you pick the rest of your team later? Okay, cool. And the difference, which I was preparing for that auction on Saturday, and I didn't think of it. It started at 8 p.m., and I didn't think of it until about midway through the afternoon. Oh, my gosh. We have to draft a full starting lineup out of the auction. And in a normal best ball league, I don't draft a ton of pitching early. Uh I might get a couple of guys at the beginning and then I'll wait, 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 because pitching is so volatile that anybody can spike a good start any given week. So I tend to try and fill out my hitting spots first. But then when I thought, oh, gosh, I have to have two catchers and nine pitchers by the end of 23 rounds, that changes the evaluations, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I went more pitching heavy. Uh, auction wise than I would have otherwise. But uh, yeah, it, even just the change from, from a draft, slow draft to an auction threw me for a loop for a few minutes. Yeah. I saw a few people talking about that and I didn't even know that was a thing that you had to fill out your roster first. Cause I'm just like you, it's like, I might have like two third basemans, three catchers before I even have like more than five pitchers or something. Like I'm just throwing things out there, but yeah, I'm with you. It's maybe get a couple aces, but you really can just go for volume late and in best balls, that's usually a decent way to go. Um, real quick, you mentioned how you would take pictures later and read uh, like a regular draft compared to an auction. Uh, can you explain real quick why that like you don't need so many aces per se in best ball? It's more about like the innings pitched and accumulation. Yeah. And in best ball specifically, um, you know, obviously, Aces will tend to score better and you'll have more good weeks out of them. 
But if you just look at, you know, best ball scoring, you know, somebody like Herman Marquez, for instance, he'll, if you look at his uh, stats from last year, he'd have a 23 point week followed by a negative seven, followed by a 40, followed by, you know, and it was just all over the place. And even, you know, very mediocre starters can get you positive points. And really, you know, out of pitching, you want positive points because you're more likely to get a negative out of a pitcher than a hitter, uh, at least based on my own observations. Um, so I just want to have a lot of pitchers and I just want them to be, you know, anybody can, the best nine will go into your lineup every week. Doesn't matter who it is. You know, Garrett Cole will have blowups and, mm -hmm. and other guys will have blowups. And so, and the crappier guys will have good starts. So they're not, there's not as much of a differentiation. I don't feel like between the aces or especially that sort of middle tier and the lower tier. So I'll get a couple of solid guys that are more than likely going to be in my lineup every week. And then I'll sort of skip that middle tier, maybe just sort of sprinkle in one or two and then just wait and get a whole, like usually my last maybe 10 rounds are all pitching because I, a lot of times the hitting runs out at that point too, which is sort of a separate issue. Yeah, but no, that's a great point. Cause yeah, the hitting, uh, well, like you said, most people just go and grab the big boys. They, the hitting, you want kind of that more consistent at bats where the pitching is like, okay, even if I get a guy late, he's gonna make at least one start a week probably. So like I got right. that going for me where if you're getting like platoon bats, which is what you're going to get the later the draft goes more often than not. Now you're hoping they can play five games a week, hopefully, but it might be three, might be four. And that puts you behind the eight ball as well. Um, with the pitching, do you even care about relief pitchers? Um, I think that there's there's a place for them. So in, in the NFBC scoring, saves are worth a decent amount. So that's great. And I will take a closer if um, the values sort of fall to me. So generally, I just take my own projections, just calculate points based on the stats that are projected. And that's sort of a rough rankings for me for a best ball. Um, and if a closer, you know, falls to a place where it's logical to take him with his projected point total, I'll absolutely do it. But once you get past the, you know, what we all think are the sure closers, I, I don't take the guys that are questionable closers. You know, I'm not going to take like, a David Bednar or, you know, any of the Seattle, well, I have taken a Seattle guy here or there, but, um, you know, I, I like anybody that's, if a reliever is not getting saves and he's not pitching multiple innings and getting, you know, those, that sort of middle of the game win, um, I'm not so much interested. And even in the auction last weekend, you know, I saw people bidding, you know, pretty significant dollars on the Barlows and, you know, mm -hmm. those guys like that. And it's just, I either want the top guys or I want the guys that are going to get volume and vulture some wins. Yeah. Uh, that's a great point. Cause in rad slam, I don't think I have one relief pitcher on my entire roster. My I've done that before. Yeah. I've taken absolutely no relief pitchers at all. And it makes sense if you break it down because it, like you said, saves are worth a lot, but you know, it, it's a points to the league and it, you know, it, it accumulates, which is great, but you, how many, how often do closers get like, three saves in a week to be worthy of more than a starting pitcher per se, or like, it, like that's the, that's kind of the whole basis. Like Jenny's talking about is if you want anything, you want the accumulator who might go throw, you know, three innings in one game, two innings in another, get you five, get you a strikeout an inning maybe and sneak out a win. Like that's pretty yeah. awesome compared to trying to, because if, if the guy goes out and pitches two relief outings, gets one save, gives up three runs in his other outing, gets only two strikeouts. He's probably not going to be in your lineup anyways that week. 
Or if it's a guy that we think is going to be a closer or you, you know, like to speculate is going to be a closer at this point and then isn't, you know, isn't getting any saves and is pitching an inning at a time, he's probably almost never going to be in your starting lineup unless every single one of your other pitchers just bombed. And then at that point, yeah. So that kind of that's kind of the basics I had for the best ball questions because like you could obviously go super deep in player pools and stuff, but I think we've exhausted that previously. Is there anything else you have for best ball strategy advice? Because I kind of want them to read your article too, of course. Um, is there anything per se that you you if someone was going to go try to draft t- tonight, would you have any like final advice for them? No, I think you know just calculating you know the points, knowing the points and how they apply to your individual players, just take a set of projections, export them and calculate the points and you're going to be pretty well off. And then just making sure you get enough hitters at each position. I usually do three to four catchers and then four at every NPO position, maybe 10, 11 outfield, and then the rest pitching. And that actually, I try to get like 20, 21 pitching, which if you add all that up means you have to get a few multi-position guys to make that work. But yeah, you just have to have all of that covered. If you end up with like two third base eligible guys, you're going to be taking some bad scores. And that's why, again, that's why the multi-position is so great because you can like cut back on some hitters and get extra pitchers. So if you're taking darts on a bunch of guys like that aren't really that good, the like, I guess the more bad pitchers you have, the more like the better chance you have them of at least one being good that week. So it, it helps out a ton in the grand scheme of things. And I love the fact that uh, they did make it kind of roto scoring since most of our heads are kind of in that mindset where it uh, you can kind of just walk over it and do one without having to think too much because that was always the hard part doing the fan tracks and coming back to the NFPC and going back and forth. I'm like in a slow draft, I had to like double check which one I'm in because it's a totally different animal when you're making your pick, and that's tons of fun. All right, let's talk about your awesome article in the FTN uh, draft guide. This I know I'm not the only one that feels this way. I've heard it in many other places. Amazing article because I love we can we all have draft strategy. November, December, January, all the podcasts are talking draft strategy. Some st- we are today, but it, a lot of it's you know roster construction is huge. That's a big part of it. You kind of brought broke down a another way to roster construct like one thing that ryan bloomfield and i do once a year on podcast and it's because he mentioned it like three years ago is really focus on the mid rounds and in a roundabout way it's kind of what you're doing with yours like you know take these picks and then the mid rounds make you do your thing but you broke it down even deeper than that so i'll let you have the floor here and kind of explain to everybody in your article it's, it's essentially about roster construction in the nfbc but what process do you go through that i think is just genius maybe it's, i think it's involving your work background that kind of makes you think that way or something you said so like just the floor is yours i think it's it's awesome and really made me open my mind to different scenarios yeah so for me you know i start out the off season with usually steamer projections are the first ones to come out so I'll download those. And I personally like to use um, SGP as my sort of cumulative scoring calculation. Um, you can find that uh, it's, there's a great breakdown of it in the process. And Tanner Bell's website has a tool that will even do it for you. Um, it's great. It sort of takes everybody's individual stats and sort of lumps them into one single score for each player and how well they will actually uh, perform based on those projections in actual roto standing. So I really like that about them. Um, And then I sort of, it's sort of a two-part strategy. So I'll go through each position and look at, um, 
where the pockets of what I think are good values are. So, you know, I'll look through, you know, first base. Okay. Oh, I like these guys up top. And then, you know, out around here in the 200 to 225 range, there's a few guys that I like. And then, you know, there's a few that are sort of down here that I think are a good option for corner infield. And I'll physically, you know, track that in a spreadsheet. So I'll have, you know, columns for the infield guys and columns for the outfield and sort of put blocks in there of where I think I'm going to want to target guys because it's easy to say, you know, hey, I like these first basemen that are going in round 15, but I also like these, you know, closer speculations that are going in round 15. And I also like these middle round starting pitchers. And if it sort of helps you realize where you're going to have to make compromises and where you can really target and you know maybe I really really like the first baseman there so maybe I'll bump them up a couple rounds to make sure that I get them there and you can sort of see how all the positions line up against each other um, so I really like doing that you can do sort of something similar with individual categories um, looking at where you know the steals are falling and where the you know at high average guys are and sort of Pin, pinpoint those as to where you want to look for them. And it's really, you know, looking at where is the last guy at each position that I want to have and working backwards from there. Um, so that does tend to sort of focus on those middle rounds, you know, where are the, the cutoffs at each position and then working backwards up to the front. Um, the other thing that I, I mentioned in there that I like to do um, is use Steamer 600. Um, I don't use it extensively, but I think it can be a really good uh, value, a place to look for values. So I have a table in there um, looking at a bunch of first basemen. And if they all had 600 plate appearances, how their stats would line up. And there's a group of guys that, you know, go from Jose Abreu all the way down to Rowdy Telez that will, you know, if given 600 plate appearance was, will do roughly the same thing for your team. And that can be a great way to find guys that might be sort of hiding in the projections because they are projected for less plate appearances. And there's probably a very good reason for that. They probably are less likely to get those plate appearances, but it can sort of point guys out to you that maybe you'll, you know, look closer into it and you think maybe they'll get more than they're projected for, or, they can, it can help point out guys that as the season progresses and injuries happen and guys are getting into jobs that they didn't have before that you see them and immediately know you want to bid on them because you've seen that they can do it if given full uh, plate appearances. So that's sort of a long way of saying, you know, I just sort of like to take the whole player pool and how all the um, categories and the, and the uh, project, uh, positions line up and then I went from there into sort of a flow chart of, um, you know, if you break down the first round into speed, power, and pitching, and anybody that gives speed, I was putting in the speed category, even if they also have um, power potential, but then sort of, okay, well, if I take this in the first round, then what does that mean for rounds two, three, and four? Like, where does that take me? And you can sort of map out, um, flows of, you know, if I go speed in the first round, well, then I don't necessarily need to go speed in the second round. So maybe there I take pitching. Well, okay, so I have those two. Well, then what's left in the third round? And what are the power guys like? Do I like them? Do I, you know, do I want to go that direction? Or maybe, maybe I don't, maybe I need to go power in the second round. And then because I like the pitching better in the third round, and it's just sort of a visual way to 
um, look at all your different options and sort of think about it ahead of time so that when you get to the draft and maybe, you know, the guy that you thought you were going to get in the first round, you don't get, you can, you've already thought through the other options and you know where to go and you don't get panicked. Yeah, no, that's, that's the beauty of it, I think, is, well, A, is you actually did your research, so you're already going to be much more comfortable going into the draft room with that. You're not just one of those people that prints out the, you know, top 380 P and walks to the room, which is good. Um, Cause there are those people out there, but um, the idea of basically planning it out, the flow charts, I think is just genius because it's a visual to kind of like you, in your head, you can go, yeah, I need speed. And there's this pocket here from doing this and this research. And, but yours literally just has it right there. Boom, boom, boom. If I go here, um, that's for the first four rounds in your deal. Do you go deeper in your research? Do you have like all 20? Like, so you have the whole kind of concept down there? I don't always go 23 because that's getting... That, I mean, eventually you're, you're just, yeah. Yeah, ADP sort of starts to fly out the window after a certain point. But I'll usually yeah. go like the first 10-ish rounds. Okay. And even last year, um, I did the uh, tag team league with Rob, you know, when we were mm -hmm. on your podcast last year. And um, we sat for two or three hours the day before the draft and went through all of the first 10 rounds. And we, you know, got to a point, you know, we had thought, okay, we're going to take a catcher here. And then we get four rounds later and think, well, actually we kind of like the catchers here. So if we take a catcher here, mm -hmm. then probably up here where we thought we were going to take a catcher, we could get like Castellanos or somebody like that. And so you end up even changing what you thought you were going to do. And so we had that worked out ahead of time because with a one minute clock with a partner, you got to make quick decisions and you need to be on the same page with stuff like that. And that's, that's even more the genius of it. Like you said, it opens your eyes up to where, because you'll do it in the middle of a draft if you don't plan it out right. You'll take someone in like round three and then set even seven, eight rounds later, like, wait, this guy's still here? Like I could have gone here and then like whatever type scenario and gotten someone else in round three. And it happens to everybody. And I do it all the time. And um, usually it's later in the draft, but you you sit there and, and it'll happen to you once in a while. So I think the planning out part's great just to kind of run it through your head, get an idea where things go, realize that there's buckets of, you know, Rob loves Babs which is very mm -hmm. kind of similar to what you're talking about. It finds a lot of yeah. similar traits of players and statistical categories of players that'll, um, that you can target. Um, and I think it's, it's a really, really good way to look at things because we can all do mock drafts or DCs or whatever to kind of get ready for it to learn the player pool, but to actually learn, learn the player pool. I think you have to actually sit down and kind of, like you said, go through it and get your different scenarios in place. Um, for you, for instance, though, just uh, out of preference, when you're drafting, are you a pitcher early person? Do you like to wait on pitching? What do you prefer to do uh, in your drafts? I have traditionally been a pitching early person. Uh, I started doing the main event in 2017, and I've done early pitching uh, throughout my time there. Um, but it's interesting this year. I think the narrative has been um, pitching is deeper. You can wait a little more on pitching. Um, I'm not sure I totally agree with that. Um, I think that it's easy to look at the list of pitchers this year and it looks great, but you really don't have to get very far down before there's some significant question marks. You know, how far down are we getting before we're on to, you know, Shane Baz and guys like that who are, you know, questionable playing time and, you know, guys who have done it only one year and, you know, guys who are moving into new environments, you know, the Gelsmans and guys who are moving into new situations. And I think that if you really want to talk about sure thing pitching, um, it runs out, you know, after, I don't know, four or five rounds probably. 
And it's great like to take some shots on those that middle tier of guys, but I would rather get at least one and probably two of the earlier guys, maybe skip some of that middle um, and jump back in in the, you know, 10-ish, 9-10 round range, something like that. I think what – because I'm guilty of saying it's deep. I think what it feels like this year – compared to previous years is the group of quote unquote, like elite top talent guys is deeper than it's been in the years past. Cause like last year it was like four guys or whatever, like it was just four or five guys. And then it really kind of dropped off. Now you can kind of make arguments for like, you still have, you know, the burns and the coals of the world, but after that, there's still a group of probably a good, you know, eight to 10 guys or something You, you could make an argument for. Then it does drop off. I think that next grouping is so much larger than it was before. Like there's so much similarity in that next group compared to years past, where it's kind of like different buckets. You can make like kind of deciding lines between them. Now it's it's like much more murky, I guess, in the next area, and that's what makes it kind of tough. Which also makes more uh, chances for for errors as well. Yeah, I've heard I've heard some people say you know you can skip that early and get two three of those guys in the middle. Um, but I don't know who did the research, but I know that there has been research done that um, those guys in those middle tiers do not hit at a very high rate. Mm-hmm. So you need to choose the right ones. And do we know the right ones yeah. to choose? Yeah, I don't know. So, you know, maybe you'll take three of them. Maybe only one or two of them work out. So, you know, I think that the hit rate on those middle guys is going to be lower. So skipping the early guys and just trying to get a few of those middle guys may not work out as well as you hope it will, you know? Yeah, no, that's very, very true. It's I'm looking forward to seeing, so hopefully getting to see how the season plays out because I know. there have been some very fun ways to draft with different, like, again, in years past, it seemed like pretty cut and dry on how I'd want to approach the draft. And now it's, it's way more dictating on where I am KDS-wise, like way more sure. dictating there on where I'm In years past, I really had a plan where now it's like, okay, if I'm here, I have this plan here that where your flow chart plays out well for that. But um where do you prefer KDS? Are you like what Modica says? I just do a, was it sliced butter or whatever? Straight butter. <laughs> straight that. butter. Oh, straight butter. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. I thought that was a funny, it's typical Modica. I'm like, that is straight Italian, like New Jersey <laughs> right there. Like just straight up Soprano style. But yeah, it's, that's all I've done. I've just done a straight, put one through 15 and see what happens. I haven't, I've done, what I've done so far is um, put like six, seven, eight at the top, then go one, two, three, four, five, then go eight through or nine through 15 at the back. Um, it's worked out well in some places and not well in others. There's been times when I've had, I've almost always had a middle pick from that. Um, so I haven't had a lot of experience doing the front or the back. I just generally like the middle better. I like to sort of be um, making a decision more often. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been leagues this year where by the time it even gets to seven or eight, I'm kind of not loving it. And, um, but like in TGFBI, for instance, I got Jose Ramirez at seven. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not happy. About so, that <laughs> so, you know, I, you never know. I know I, I was going with the thought that there's, you know, a good top seven, hopefully I'll get one of those. Um, you know, I've, kind of, I've frankly treated this TGFBI a little bit more as like a FOMO draft, you know, just trying mm-hmm. to get some guys that I wanted to have shares of. Um, so, you know, if I was thinking when it got to me at seven, I might just go Otani or go Acuna, yeah. you know, just try and get get some shares. But, you know, hey, I'll take Jose Ramirez. Um, but generally, I just like I like to be in the middle if possible. I'd like to not get caught. You know, there's so when you're on the ends, there's just so yeah. many picks 
between years that it's you end up having so many regrets. You, re- you reach, you re- you have to reach, and it. Uh, and even like sometimes I think I'm reaching, and then I didn't reach correctly. Yeah, well, that's true. Like literally in TGFBI, the picks I made today, I had to, I needed third base for like around fourteen, and I had two third basemen I wanted, and t- according to ADP, I could have still waited. I still could have waited, but I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. So I took one. Well, the other one I wanted still sat there on the way back. I'm like, oh. so I could, so could have waited. Great, super, but uh, yeah, it's it's tricky. Like at least in the middle, you can be in the middle of a run, so you're not reaching for things or this that. Like you can get with the flow of the draft, it's so weird. But yeah, when I was, I've, if I've had like seven, eight, nine, I haven't been in love with my options in round one so much. I haven't been blessed by having Jose Ramirez fall to me. Uh, he yeah, went. In, that was I, pure luck. Yeah, I had the fourth pick in TGFBI. He went third. So I thought I, I thought I'd get lucky and get him at four. No, didn't happen. And I see you get him at seven. Other oh, cut him at six. Like, yeah, must be nice. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, it's different this year. It's really really different. Because in years past, I'd put it backwards, fifteen on, like I wanted to turn. And now it's kind of a, it's a different beast for sure. Uh, this draft season, you mentioned um, looking at Steamer six hundred for valuation. I like guess that's, that's a great tool. Do you prefer Steamer projections in general, or when the back comes out or ATC? What's your projection of choice? Um, I, uh, right now in my draft spreadsheet, I have ATC in there. Um, I like ATC cause it's like a good safe middle of the road kind of projection. Doesn't get too high on anybody or too low on anybody. Um, cause it's an aggregate. So it just sort of builds in that aggregation for you. Um, but I, what I also do, um, is I run the fan graphs auction calculator, all of the projection systems are all the ones that they have. And uh, along with the ATC projections in the spreadsheet, I have the dollar values from all the other projection systems. Um, so I, you know, can have those to refer to. Um, in general, though, I've, I've contemplated maybe doing, I've done a little bit in points um, of do using the BAT-X for hitters and steamer for pitchers. I might modify to that. I haven't really decided yet, but the bad X for pitch for hitters has been really good too. Really good. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it won, I think most accurate projections last year for hitters, obviously because they don't have pitchers. Um, ATC won the year before. So it's obviously yeah. very, very good, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's fun to see who uses what, cause there's a little bit of everything out there. Um, the statistical targets, that was a point in the article. And we talk about the 80th percentile for so many deals. Cause I'll kind of, if you finish above those, for those that don't know, for you basically have a great chance of cashing, if not doing better. Um, how much, like when you're drafting, do you have your spreadsheet out and you put your stats in or how do you monitor your 80th percentile per se? Yeah. So I have the targets, um, in a spreadsheet. So I have my spreadsheet broken out per position. I don't have an overall list anywhere. Um, but then I have a separate tab that is for my team. So as I take a guy, I will just copy and paste his projections into that sheet. And then it has, you know, a calculation at the bottom, just adding everybody up. And then I have my targets and then I have, you know, what percentage of the total I'm at. So, you know, I know that, you know, seven hitters through, I should be at 50% or really better because the, your later hitters are not going to do as much as your early hitters, but you know. Um, so I, I keep that an, a tab on that, that way. Um, but one thing I think that's important to remember to do, um, is when you're calculating the rate stats, I don't just take the average of all of my hitters and average it together. I take the total hits over the total at bats 
because that way you factor in the guys that are getting more or less plate appearances or at bats. Same with the two um, pitching uh, rate sets so that, you know, the really good rates or ratios that you can get from your relief pitchers don't um, make you overly optimistic on what your rates are going to be. So I think that's one thing that's important to do if you're going to track your statistical targets as you're going. That's a great point. Cause I think a lot of people probably do just like, Oh, let's just average these together and it doesn't quite paint the, the right picture. So yeah. remember that one for sure. You can add up your home runs and RBIs. That's fine. But uh, don't, don't go, don't go the other direction. Um, now you, you've got your starting roster. You've looked at your projections. You kind of know where you stand and you have to draft your bench. Like you said, you just did your best ball bench. You obviously you'll do your other benches while you draft. Sometimes you'll draft those before you finish out other parts of your roster. Just how the game goes. How do you approach your bench? Because some people like to do, take their chances because like, oh, we'll just drop them and turn them burn. Some of them like to, uh, you know, get a prospect that they can stash. How do you go about building your bench? I think that building the bench is something that's really sort of under focused on. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's a right, correct phrase. Um, but I, what I like to do is have uh, positions covered that way. So, you know, when you come out of fab every Sunday, I like to go into the week knowing that I've got at least two people at every position. Um, and with some positional eligible multi-position guys, you can do better than that. But, you know, I like to have, so um, obviously, you know, your starting lineup and then in your corner infield, you'll have either first or third. So if I have a first baseman in my corner infield spot, I want to have a third baseman on my bench or an utility, but, you know, just so I have two of everything. Um, same with middle infield. You know, if I have a second baseman in my middle infield spot, I want to have a shortstop on my bench or somewhere else in my lineup so that I'm covered that way. I want to make sure I have an extra outfielder. Um, usually I'll have two-ish starting uh, relievers in my lineup. Sometimes I'll have a third on the bench and a few um, starting pitchers on the bench. Um, I generally don't uh, stash. Um, I try not to anyway. I almost never stash on anybody who's either injured or a minor leaguer. Um, I don't like to limit my bench options. And um, one thing that I learned um, from partnering with Rob last year was uh, the idea of streaming from your bench. Instead of churning those bench pitchers, trying to get a stable of sort of reliable, semi-reliable guys that, you know, you can start in good matchups and that way you can, um, put those guys in and out of your lineup and you're probably going to be dealing with a better quality pitcher than what you're getting off of the waiver wire. So, True. um, you know, having in, you know, looking at matchups and just starting the best out of those three or four pitchers that are taking up the last couple spots in your lineup and then a couple spots on the bench. And I think that that's really something that I'm going to try to do moving forward. That's a, that's a great call. Rob's a smart man. So it makes he a lot is. of sense. Uh, he's a very, very smart guy. If you guys haven't noticed, the Pull Hitter podcast is back. So it's get back. up on that. Yep, get up on that. It, it dropped uh, right before, like I saw it on my feed right before we started. So he's back. Rob is back, and we're glad to have him back. Um, all right. We talked a lot of roster construction. If people have more questions, go with the FTN draft guide. It's awesome, very affordable. Hit up Jenny on Twitter, ask her questions, ask me questions if you want. Um, but I really want to ask some Reds questions because I draft a lot of them every year, every year because the ballpark's tempting. The team, I got on to tell you, should always be better than they perform because it is usually a good always. team. And then that ownership or whatever starts to play with it. Like, I think it was two years ago, I picked them everywhere preseason for it. I was, just, and then they just blew. I'm like, what are you guys doing? What are you doing here? And I can only imagine. 
um, being a fan like you are. Because trust me, as a Dolphins fan, it's I kind of understand a little bit because we screw okay. everything up. I was gonna say yeah. San Francisco. I'm not. Yeah, I'm no, not no, I can't. It. I can't use that excuse anymore. I, I used to before 2010. Sure. I could use that excuse a ton too. Can't do that. But the Dolphins, I always bring that up. It's torture, torture. What they do. So I feel you. Like you're good enough, but not good enough every year, and that's what they do. So let's talk Reds from a fantasy perspective, which we can all enjoy. That's always good. Um, we'll start with the, the the reigning rookie of the year, Jonathan India, who was absolutely awesome last year. Started out bad, started out pretty rough. Let's go back to AAA injuries, got him back in the lineup, and just took off from there and let off OBP skills through the roof, um, power speed. What do you guys expect or what do you expect from India? Are you expecting kind of similar production, more production? Because he was a former like elite first round pick from Florida. So it, it just it, people were kind of starting to give up hope on him. And then he kind of proved who he was. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I just got to start this whole thing by saying that another thing that we have to thank MLB for is that I don't actually get to watch the Reds because I'm in the blackout. Are you um, kidding me? Yeah. So um, in, in this area, the only way that I can watch the Reds is to have Spectrum cable. That's oh it. My That's my gosh. only option. And I don't want Spectrum cable, so I don't watch the Reds. That is the uh, the uh, station that carries them got into a fight with YouTube TV. And so I lost that. And I thought it would only be a matter of time until they worked it out. And we're That's going like, on like two years now. My YouTube TV, we lost it. Uh, oh, no. On um, Dish Network. I don't have it anymore. They lost the local channel for Giants and Sharks and stuff. Yeah. But YouTube TV still has it, thank God. I can't watch Reds, Indians, Pirates at all. The Pirates are like not even, if you live in this area, watching, you can, there's no amount of money that you can pay to anyone to watch the Pirates. I hate the Pirates. Not even an option. It's embarrassing. Oh, it makes me crazy. But um, I still do try to follow as much as I can. And as far as India goes, you know, I, I am a little bit wary of sophomore regression, um, but in his case, I think he's pretty safe. And I know that something that, you know, Toby likes to say is, you know, a lot of paths to value. You know, he contributes a little bit in all the categories. So I think that there is some safety in that. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's fine where he goes. I think that, you know, prog- uh, projections wise, he looks to be a slight value where he is. So I've taken him. Um, I've actually taken him as my middle infielder in a, a DC. I took um, Altuve and India. That's a good so, combo. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, so, you know, I'm fine with it. I'm not like running out to get him, but um, I think he's fairly safe. Yeah. That's he's, he's, I, I love it. I, I like him. I, I'm not rushing again. That's it's exactly how I feel. I think I have him in like, I, I like draft enough. So I have him in a couple leagues, but it's one of those I'm not reaching for him, like you're saying. But there's a lot of times I'll see someone draft him and go, oh man, like I could have not taken this guy and then waited on India and got him right there and been okay with it. Kind of the, the flow chart thing. But, um, he's always one of those guys that like you don't really remember, think about him too much until you all of a sudden you see him and you're like, oh, that's right. There he is. But, um, I think he's, Safe's never a good word, but like you said, I think it's he's got a very good floor to bring the action. That's not going to suck with the ballpark, with the guys behind them. Things should his be playing okay. time, I think, is safe. I think he it could should he'd be, have yeah. to pretty bad before he would lose playing time. And I think he earned the right to have a slump now, unlike last year. Last year, they're like, yeah, go back to AAA. But I think he earned the right now. It's like, hey, he's got some hardware on his mantle that you're going to have to respect a little bit now. Another Another guy, though, that was, you know, always an average asset but or a, a problem but the power was great 
And then last year was kind of a hiccup, still ended up with over 30 home runs, which is great. But Eugenio Suarez, um, you know, he's coming off the shoulder injury last year, which could have had a lot to do with it. Had him playing shortstop, which I think had a lot to do with it. That's my personal opinion. You, you take a guy out of their comfort zone, that's going to happen. He went back to third base, started hitting a little better. The average still didn't really come, but at least it was a little more consistency from Eugenio. Uh, what's your thoughts on him going into this year? Because, you know, if, if they have Barreo play shortstop, Farmer's going to be moving around. There's going to be some pieces involved in Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, I'm going with the assumption that he's going to be the full-time third baseman. Maybe they'll put him in DH a little bit. I'm not sure. Um, he's, he's got a profile that a lot of guys have big power, no average. And so if you want a guy like that, I think that that's a fine choice. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I have no idea what Joey Gallo's ADP is, but he's gotta be going later than like Joey Gallo. Right. I mean, I think of him as kind of the same thing. Um, but I think I've taken him. I think that his, um, dual position eligibility can be really nice, especially because he's got that middle corner combo. Um, the difference between him hitting 220 and 240 is huge. I looked at uh, my spreadsheet where I've got all of the projections, dollar values, and all of a sudden the bad X stuck out that they've got him as like a $12 player. Yeah. And I go to look at the actual projections and they have him hitting 240. Mm -hmm. So the difference, and if you look across the other stats, they're nearly identical. So the difference between him hitting 240, like some of the projection systems are saying, and 240, like the bad X is saying, is like $4. And so if you think that he can do it, sure, it's not a bad place to take a shot. Um, you know, he had a great September. Who knows? Maybe he figured something out. I would love it if he did. Um, but, you know, if you draft him, you just got to be prepared for that 220 because that might be what you're getting. Yeah, he's going about 70 to 80 picks after Votto. So that that's a plus. I love the middle infield corner infield flexibility. That's like really, really big. Um, and if you look like the last two years, the injuries, the, the shoulder could have been an issue because prior to that, he actually hit for average pretty yeah. regularly, which was great. That's what made people love him. And then he's kind of disappointed. The one other thing I'll mention, and last year, do not look at last year if you want to listen to me. But prior to last year, um, if you're like in an OVP league, he goes super late. And he's not the end of the world. Like he's not great, but he's, he's an over 300 guy with, with uh, like over 10% rock walk rate most of the time. So uh, he you can get him late as a third base because a third base shortstop guy as well. And that's kind of somewhat interesting if you're in an OBP format, but in a uh, batting average. Yeah. Like you said, be prepared. Things could get rocky. Uh, another OBP guy doesn't steal any bases needs to stay healthy. Please is Jesse Winker um, with the concerns of the health. Cause he just hasn't stayed healthy. Uh, are you buying in on him this year? Because the price is much higher than it used to be. I have drafted him. Um, he's another one that I'm sort of not running to get, but I think the the best way to approach him is just to be realistic about his plate appearances. Just put in the projections, you know, factor it in that he's going to miss some time. He may at some point get platooned. And if you lower those plate appearances and you still like the value, then do it. Because when he plays – and against righties, he's going to be great. So if you, you know, if that's something that fits what you've done so far on your team, then I think he's a really good option. And, you know, you just never know when somebody can, if he gets that full-time plate appearances, mm -hmm. even when he, you know, is hitting a combo of righties and lefties, his uh, performance against righties is so good that it averages out to be really good. So, mm -hmm. you know, if he can stay healthy, he'll be great. You just can't assume that you can't, um, draft him expecting you know best case scenario 
Yeah, I've drafted him in a few leagues because I'm just hoping that he can stay healthy because, like you said, his numbers will be phenomenal if he just stays on the field. He's super, super – like he legit could hit 40-plus on runs. Like he's got that that ability in him. Uh, he's not going like in the top, top parts of the draft. And he, but he won't run, won't run at all. So just keep that in mind. But uh, you can get everything else hidden right in front of Joey Votto and Suarez and company, which does not stink. Let's talk Moose. I've been snagging a ton of moose late in drafts because I, A, I love the guy. Like, he's just a grease ball. He plays hard. Like, what's not like he's having fun? He's always dirty. What's not to like about this guy? Yeah, obviously, he hasn't stayed healthy the last couple of years. That's been a, a bummer. But with the DH, like, he, like, everyone talks about oh, who benefits the most on every team. Well, moose could definitely benefit tremendously from this because now you got Suarez at third. You got Indy at second. His kind of landing spots are getting clogged up here. But if moose comes back healthy, he's free in drafts right now. Well, are you in on Moose this year? Well, that's the key is that, you know, the low cost on him make it worth taking the shot. I haven't done it yet. And every draft I see him and go, oh, yeah, got to get him in my queue. And then I sort of don't take him and then he's gone. And I, you know, regret it a little bit. Um, I think that, you know, it's possible that it was all injuries last year. I held on to him in the main event <laughs> all year, all year till, you know, September. And I'm sure I would have done better had I not, but I just thought, you know, he's got to come around, you know, he's going to come around. Um, didn't. <laughs> so there was that. Um, but yeah, at this low cost, you know, you can, especially, I think he's a, a good person having a family because draft him. If he's not better then you get rid of him. So it's, you know, no harm done. So um, that's probably the way I would approach taking him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I'm just, I'm a guy, you talk, everyone talks about the bounce back candidates, and man, we've seen him do it so many times. But uh, yeah. this is where I would love some spring training people. That, that would help a lot. I, know. Um, I was all pitch- over him last year. Yeah, let's go to the pitching side of things here. Uh, you got Luis Castillo, you got Tyler Molle, you got Sonny Gray, all rumored to be traded somewhere. All have fantasy relevance at one point or another. Like, I have a ton of Tyler Molle because I love the strikeout stuff. If he could ever stop walking guys, it'd be tremendous. But I think he's got he could potentially take that next step. I've always been a Castillo guy. I actually don't really have much of him this year. I just haven't. And then Sonny Gray always intrigues me every draft. So what's your thoughts on these three guys that could all end up in a different uniform sometime this year? I'm open to drafting all of them. Um, you know, like you said, who knows who will still be there and who's gonna get traded. I don't think any of them getting traded, you know, it probably will only help them. So that's probably not something that I'm going to be too concerned about. Um, I think I, I'm open to taking all of them at their prices. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know why. I, it's, I think I'm just being influenced by the general opinion that everybody's sort of down on Castillo. And so I'm a little bit more down on him. And I don't know why. Um, you know, is there anything that we know about him this year that we didn't know last year? I mean, he you. had that I bad first half. Agree. Yeah. But I, we could have all probably seen, you know, a, a slow spot coming for him. So yeah. I don't know that he's really any different than what we knew before. So, you know, maybe he's a good value at where he's going, depending on, you know, what you've taken up to that point. I, I wouldn't want to make him my first starting pitcher, but second or maybe even third. Third would be mm-hmm. nice. Um, I like Molly. I think Molly is probably my favorite of the three at his at his cost. Um, I've also drafted Gray a few times. He's another, he's a good bounce back candidate. Um, the interesting thing about all of them is that the Reds became a good spot for pitching 
when they brought in um, some new pitching coaches and they brought in all those driveline guys and stuff like that. But now those guys are gone. So I don't know. Hopefully these guys can take what they've learned from them and hang on to it. Um, but who knows? I don't know, honestly, enough about the pitching staff that's there now, the, um, the coaching pitching staff. Um, so I don't know if that might affect the overall performance of the Reds pitchers. Yeah, no, that's kind of the the concern I have is with, especially with like Castillo, you make such a great point is I was all in on him in the last couple of years and I don't know. Nothing's changed. You're hundred percent correct. Nothing has changed. Yeah. He had that bad first half, but he finished phenomenally. One of the best pitchers in baseball and like the second half of his season. So what, what's the deal? And Hey, they talk about people that are going to benefit from a month off or some, well, there goes your cold weather narrative. So like, like if, if yeah. it is a cold weather thing, there you go. Like problem solved. So I never totally bought into that. No, I don't place, either. Though. I don't either. Like it's like not some, that cold. I mean, it's not that cold. And no. you guys April are going to be like Ohio. almost in the eighties this weekend. He's fine. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, it's, I don't think that's what it is. Is some guys are slow starters. They need a little extra oomph to get going. It's just the way it goes. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I got my big Molly guy just for the strikeouts, if anything, and see where it goes from there. I think he could, like I said, he's young, could take that next step. But Sonny Gray, people like keep talking about him, and I don't know why. I've always been kind of hesitant at times, but doesn't give up loud contact. Like, he really does a good job of of limiting damage, and he's kind of a – I'm like, I'd have to look at the numbers. I'm really just spitballing here. He feels like a, a poor man's like Jose Barrios. Like, it's not flashy. Yeah, he's just oatmeal. He's yeah, just he, not exciting. Yeah, he eats, eats up innings. He'll have some, like, these starts, gets you some strikeouts, but – Nothing that jumps off the page at you. So in reality, probably a good fantasy guy to have just because you don't have to worry about him. You just plug him in and let him go. Um, let's talk about some of these young pitchers, though. You got San Martin. You got Santillian. You can even throw Ladello in there if you want. Uh, these are all guys getting talked about. I have a lot of San Martin and Santillian late in, in draft, just as spec, spec uh, shots there. Are you seeing any need to draft these pitchers? Do you have any like thoughts on who might actually be worth it this year? What's the buzz around these three young arms? I've taken San Martin a little bit. Um, I, he's had such a small sample last year that it's, you know, obviously the numbers look fantastic, but it was a super small sample and he has two starts against Pittsburgh. So take that for what it's worth. But, you know, it, if he did look good in those two starts, um, I think that, you know, these guys might be a good place to take a picture, take them late in a fab league, drop them if they're not doing well or if they lose their rotation spot. Um, San Martin is somebody who, you know, relies more on deception than velocity. So that can go either way. He, yeah. It could be great or he could just crash and burn. So I wouldn't want to be hanging on to him, um, in a league that doesn't involve fab. I don't think, um, Santillian, I don't know if he's going to be a starter. I think right now, um, on roster resource, he's not listed as one of the five starters. Vladimir Gutierrez is. And Vladimir Gutierrez, if you look at, um, I just downloaded uh, Eno Saris's stuff numbers and all that, and mm -hmm. he uh, looks better uh, with stuff and location and pitching plus and all that than Santillian does. Mm -hmm. um, I think for, you know, a lot of these guys, either you draft them late and you drop them or you just sort of watch and wait and pick them up as a streamer if they're looking good. Yeah, I know Gutierrez. I streamed a few times last year. Um, sometimes it worked out well. Sometimes he had some blowups. That was his his deal. But um, yeah, that that's it's interesting to see what they have there. And if they do make some of these trades, some of these young arms are going to get some serious looks uh, to finish out the season. So worth, uh, like you said, keeping an eye on. You have the watch list buttons and stuff. So mm -hmm. definitely something to think about. 
And last but not least, if you can look inside your crystal ball, because not many can figure this one out, is it Lucas Sims? Or what are we doing with the closers in Cincinnati? I thought it was Lucas Sims last year. He got hurt and then got shuffled around to like 12 guys. Um, where do you think we go this year? Shuffling again? Probably. I'm just staying away fantasy-wise. Um, you could take a shot on Sims. I would want to do it someplace where I can drop him, though. Um, so I just – I haven't – I don't think I have any Reds relievers on any of my teams yet. I'm just not interested in playing that game. We have no idea that they're going to be any more interested in having a single closer than they were last year. So they could just end up being some, you know, guys who mix and match. And so they're not worth rostering. So I'm just staying away unless I hear anything concrete from the team. Yeah, no, it's been a tough one to go to to draft for sure. And like, I love Lucas Sims. I think he's freaking awesome and probably should be the closer, but yeah, tough, tough go there for sure. Be nice if they still had uh, Mr. Iglesias. That'd be nice. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Uh, all right, a couple of listener questions here, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. Uh, Anthony Gialdi, he asks, for best ball, do you wait for pitchers or take them early and look at look at it as a point of separation from other teams? So you said you take pitchers usually later, but is there like a specific strategy you'd like to mention to him for that? Yeah, um, I think what you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I'll take a few early to try and get some you know stable base and then just wait because they're so – I mean, like – guys like San Martin, Santilli, and Vladimir Gutierrez, you can have those guys, if they're getting regular every five-day starts, could spike plenty of good enough starts to get into your lineup. So I think that, you know, it's so much more volatile than the hitters that I just try and have lots of them, and I'm fine with taking them late and, you know, just getting the hitters that I need to get. All right, Gialdi had a second question, but it's the same. It's one of the same questions Bill Hammock has, so I'll combine them. Um, basically what's the best way to approach or how many catchers best way to approach catcher how many catchers should you have in a two catcher best ball league i usually have three or four Um, if i spent a little more on them i might get by with three that's sort of where i'll take a hit if i need to on um getting a fourth one if i didn't get maybe enough multi-position guys and i have to lose a spot somewhere i might make it catcher Um, but i like to have four um, I'm willing to spend a little bit on catcher. You know, the, if you look at the points values, the points, you know, it, you can get negative points as a hitter. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, it's it's the way that they calculate batting average. So you have negative uh, negative one per at bat. So if you have a low at low average catcher who's not getting, you know, any counting stats, they're likely to have a negative score for that week. So I'm willing to um, spend a little bit more on catchers. I've had a couple shares of Sal. I've had, you know, a couple shares of Rian Luto, guys like that. Or even those middle guys are fine too. But I don't – I try not to go just total bottom of the barrel on catchers. But getting four – you can also, um, you know, if you really want to wait, get, you know, sort of do a handcuff thing if you think that it's um, a clear handcuff. One thing I did last year that was a huge mistake – was I took two Detroit catchers thinking that I was handcuffing and ended up with neither of them. Yeah. <laughs> neither of them ended up being the catcher for most of the season. So that can blow up in your face. But I've also done it with like um, um, Christian Vasquez and Plawecki, you know, guys like that. You know, if you have somebody that's kind of a clear backup, 
Um, you could do it with, you know, I've done it in that uh, auction. I have Omar Narvaez and Severino, okay. you know, things like that you yeah. can do. Um, and that'll allow you, usually that second guy, Severino is a higher end one, but you know, sometimes that second guy is, um, lo- nobody has really any interest on them other than the person who drafted the starter. So you can use that to spend a little bit later on catchers if you want to. Like I, uh, I like your option better with Narvaez and Severino, but I think last year, with the Angels, I'd like Stassi and Suzuki or something like that, where it just kind of gives you that buffering effect if you're not going big. But I kind of I, like you, I kind of like spending up if I can at that position because the drop off so severe at catcher compared to other spots yeah. that it, it does make a big difference. Uh, Bill's other question um, Do you, is there any track record maybe in the past that you've played um, that a heavy hitter approach is better than a heavy pitcher or vice versa? Yeah, that's, that's generally what I try to do. So what I'll do is look at where um, the quality hitters run out. You know, where are you getting down to guys who just are, you know, short-sided platoon guys and, you know, just not going to play enough to matter. And I'll sort of mark where those guys run out and try to get all my hitter spots filled before that. So I'll generally have pretty much all my hitting spots, maybe without a few outfielders left. Um by round 32, 35, something like that. Um, and then just take pitching after that, because I think having quality depth of hitters can be very valuable. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense as well. But uh, Jenny, that'll wrap us up. Um, final thoughts on uh, anything we talked about today, how you're going to keep prepping for drafts. We're, we are going to have baseball. We are going to have baseball. So we got to keep positive there. Just when is the question, but um any final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, they just, they, they need to do it soon. I don't yeah. want my Vegas drafts to get canceled. Please. I know this is selfish and people's no, real not. lives are on the line it's, and it's they, not. you know, well, people's livelihood, you know, I want the players to get what they need. And if they mm-hmm. have to hold out, then I get that they have to do that, but please, please just make it work in the next week or so. I can't take it. Because yeah, the problem is, like I said, it on a lot of shows is, the players are fighting for the players that don't have money, the young players. So that's what's making it tougher. They're doing that while those young players are actually at spring training right now, which is very ironic. Um, So that's who they're fighting for. And um, in the end, people seem to already get ready for it. The owners are going to win again. They always do. I know. Like there might be some nice concessions towards the players, but in the end, just be ready for it. The owners are going to win again. Like the, the concessions will be way better in their favor. Let's put it that way. Like, so just be prepared for that because we've seen the pitchforks on Twitter. Yeah, I know you've seen them. We all have. Mm-hmm. Just be prepared. The owners will still win this. That's just how it's going to go because eventually the players will realize we have to play baseball. Like that's just – that's why I know we will have baseball but because both sides need money. That's just the way it's going to go. But one side can kind of outlast the longer a little longer. So. They're just going to wait just long enough to inconvenience all of the fantasy community. Pretty much, pretty much. That's what's <laughs> going to be. Or we get like an awesome uh, late April time in Vegas, you know, towards like, I don't know. I'm just yeah. trying to make up. I'm trying to make up a good scenario. I have no idea. But um, all right, we'll wrap it up there. Make sure you check out Jenny on Twitter at Jenny Butler 830. Her work over at rotoballer.com, Fantrax HQ, and the FTN Draft Guide. And Jenny, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is fun. No problem at all. Everybody else has been with Bubba episode 444. Catch you guys later.